Okay, we are in Titus, and we're in the third chapter. This is the last chapter. It's just a little book, but boy, how powerful all of this is. And I got to thinking about, uh, in these verses, what they tell us. And I thought, boy, this, you could entitle this, How to Act When You're Christmas Shopping. <laughs> Couldn't you? Or How to Act When Bills Are Due. How to act when you're disappointed. How to act when you're grief-stricken. How to act when you've been betrayed. How to act when times are hard. In other words, we could just entitle this, How to Act Like a Christian. And Paul is writing to people who have difficulties, as all of us do. Their difficulties, in some ways, would be more extreme than ours. We don't face the possibility of being thrown to lions or anything like that. But most of them did not either. Now the possibility was always there, but most of the believers weren't thrown in prison and most of them weren't thrown to lions. Some were, and many were, and we don't want to discount any of that. But 100% of the people on this church were burying moms and dads or children. 100% of the people in this church were having unfulfilled expectations in certain parts of life and dreams that were never going to be accomplished. 100% of the people in there suffered the trials of life. And Paul is writing to them and he doesn't give any exemption. And that's the thing that we need to think about as we read these words. Paul didn't say, do these things unless... Fill in the blank. Paul didn't say that you should do this when times are good or do it whenever you feel like it. We don't live by our feelings. Now our feelings are real. We understand that. But we don't live by our feelings. And part of crucifying the flesh is telling your flesh... But you're not going to be ruled by that flesh no matter how you are feeling at that particular time. Because we operate on a different dimension, a higher dimension. And uh, you can read in the book of Hebrews in chapter 11 what that's all about. It's the dimension of faith. And as we read these things, we realize that our faith in the Lord and our faith in what He has done has a practical expression in life regardless of our circumstances. And we might even say especially when our circumstances are not so good. So Paul tells Titus, the pastor of this congregation, in chapter 3 verse 1, Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, Passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. And we'll stop there. What do you say about verses like that? Well, as I thought, as I prayed and stewed over these passages, what was unclear in that? 
And how dare I take up any of your time just to rehash something that you can read for yourself. And all I'm attempting to do here today is just to do what Paul told Titus. Because what struck me was there is nothing in there that the vast majority of you don't already know. So why are we doing this? Two words. Remind them. You know, as I think about that, my job is not always simply to teach you because some of you know far, far more about the Word of God than uh, you're, you're to the point to where it's hard for anybody to come up with anything you haven't already heard. And if the goal of every sermon was, wow them with something new, let's just go home. But if the goal is to remind them, remind them, that's a very practical and needful thing, remind them of these things that are going on. I was uh, thinking about how Paul told Timothy to stir up the gift that, was, that is within you. And the Greek there means to go to a fireplace with a poker and to stir up the embers and rearrange the wood so that the flames birth forth. You know what? Every time we need that, every t- once in a while we need that. And we get to the point to where the fire is still there, but there's just some embers kind of settling down, and they're not really burning like they once were. And we need the Holy Spirit to come along and just kind of prod us and stir up some things that are, listen, already there so that they become a burning flame again. Well, in the same way, Paul is telling Titus, don't search around for something new. Give them something old. Remind them of these things. So the very first reason that I would be preaching this message to you is just to kind of tell you this. Those words, remind them, tell me that the church that Titus was ministering to in Crete is much like Graceway. You already know more than you're really living up to. You already have answers that you're not applying You already have things in your life that if someone else were to ask you or you were to advise them, you could give them advice that you're not following. I had an aunt that was a health food expert. She was the sickest thing on the planet. She had everything you could imagine. And she didn't live to be very old, but she could sure tell you every vitamin, every herb, every substance that would help you. She knew it all but she didn't follow it. And some of us are like my aunt when it comes to spiritual things. You know principles of warfare, you just don't use them. You know what's good and bad, right and wrong. You know what is foolish and what is wise. You're just not doing it. And we can all sit around and talk about those things. We could debate those things. We could point out other scriptures. We could argue about it if we wanted to. And what good would it do if none of us ever get to the point of just doing what we know to do? We know far more than we are doing. Apparently, that was a problem in Crete as well as it is today. You know it. Why aren't you doing it? Hey, pastor, remind them. Remind them of these things. I thought about James chapter 4, verse 17. It says, Therefore... To one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, 
to him it is sin. Now for a lot of years I thought the right thing to do. And every one of them began with a don't. Don't do this and don't say this and don't participate in this. And you know better than that. Can you hear your mom? You know better than that. Those were always the worst things when you got in trouble for something you knew better than and you did it anyway. And I just kind of assumed it was like that. God is saying, you know, and you better not, and that type of thing. And then one day it dawned on me. James didn't say to those who know what they shouldn't do and they do it anyway that it's sin. Well, everybody knows that. James is taking it the other way. When you know what to do. Did you get it? To the one who knows what to do and does not do it. To him it is sin. In other words, did you know that for all of the knowledge you can debate and argue with the scripture, for all of your discussions, for all of your input at Bible studies, Sunday school, maybe just sitting around the kitchen table, and and boy, you talk about the Bible and all of that, and you know all of the stuff, and you're not doing it? To those who know, who know what to do, I'm here today to remind you of what preachers in the past have told you that you took and you said amen to, but you're not doing it now. I'm here to remind you of those things that you heard in a lady's Bible study. And you said amen, boy that's good, but you're not doing it. I'm here to remind you about those things. I'm here to remind you of those things that you read in your daily Bible readings, in your devotional, and you said, boy that's good, I I need to start doing that, but it's been months And you haven't even made any effort. I'm here to remind you. Like Paul said. This is a reminding message. What is it you're supposed to do? Well so many people are so busy searching for new stuff. Digging around for new stuff. And they're swallowing bad doctrine. False doctrines. False philosophies. All the things the Bible uh, warns them about. Because they're looking for a feeling. They're looking for something that is going to be uh, the wow factor, the new factor. And the devil is just feeding you all kinds of garbage. And Paul says the answer is not in something new. The answer is doing what you already know. You know what you're supposed to do. You know what the Christian life is all about. You know what discipleship is. You know what hospitality is. You know what holy living is. You know what evangelism is. I remember one time I asked the church, how many of you have been trained in something like EE to share the gospel? And about three-fourths of the congregation raised their hands. Okay, how many people have you led to the Lord? How many people have you talked to about Christ? How many people have you intentionally uh, gone to them and shared the gospel of Jesus? How many people have you prayed over? How many people have you wept over? And if I were to ask that question, I doubt your hand would go up. Why? Because you know what to do, and you doeth it not. Therefore, what happened? It's a sin. Some of you know the principles of giving. You're just not doing it. It's called sin. Some of you know about the different commands in the scripture about using your spiritual gift. And you're not using your spiritual gift. Let somebody else do it. I've paid my dues. And to you it is sin. Now I know you're not involved in 
uh, immorality. I know you're not getting drunk. I know you're not cussing and using God's name in vain. I know you're not doing that. I'm not talking about those things. You already know that. You see, the Christian life is not just to kick into neutral and do nothing. It's to be in gear. It's to be in tune with the Word, to be in tune with the Spirit. And it's to be moving ahead, running the race with diligence, looking to the author and the finisher of our faith. Are you running the race the way you used to run the race, the way you know to run the race? Well, I'm here to remind you because if you know it and you're not doing it, it is a sin that needs to be confessed. So what is the Holy Spirit nudging you about right now? I know uh, people have said, well, I'm just not hearing from God. Maybe the reason you're not hearing from God is because he would say to you, I've already told you. Do what I told you to do, and then we'll talk about something else. Life will get exciting again. Your Bible study will get exciting again. It'll be purposeful. It'll be life-changing. But you're not living up to what you already know, so why should he teach you anything new so this is a message about reminding now secondly this is a message about responsibility I think that in our culture the church is losing so much ground and so much influence because of the very next verse to be submissive to rulers and authorities to be obedient and then he ties this in to be ready for every good work well what in the world does being ready for every good work have to do with my submission to authority well I don't know a hundred percent but here's something for you just to chew on how many times I know you would never do this but how many times have you heard about the church member who goes to work and nobody knows they're even saved how many times have you heard of the person that they go to church but when they go to work when they're told to do something they don't do it they find a way around it how many times have you heard about a person who goes to church and they have a stinking attitude, a rebellious attitude, always pushing back, always talking ugly, always stirring up trouble. How many times have you heard about somebody like that? Let me tell you, if you're that person, if you're that person, don't even worry about fulfilling the Great Commission there because no one's going to listen to you. John MacArthur one time was in a prison and this person came up to him and said, Oh, I've heard of you. I've listened to you on the radio and I've listened to all of your tapes. And he goes, Oh, did they come here to the prison? No, I don't do it since I've been here. But before I got here, I used to go to your church. I used to listen to your tapes. I used to do all of that. And he said, Oh, really? Then why are you in here? And the person told him. And Dr. MacArthur said, You know, until you get your life straightened out, you might ought to keep your mouth shut. You're a bad advertisement for Christ. And for those who might be involved in our ministry. Point well taken. There are some times we go and we say. Oh I just want to serve. Oh I just want my life to have meaning and purpose and significance. Oh I want to do something for God. But you're scared to death to ever do it in front of your co-workers. Because they've seen the real you. They've heard your filthy language. They've heard the dirty jokes. 
They've heard the comments you've made about the company, about the boss, and about all of your dissatisfaction and your hatred about everything like that. And then you try to tell them about Jesus. No wonder they're not listening. You see, your responsibility is to be submissive to authorities, right? And to be obedient in those things because Paul wanted the people at Crete, even if they were slaves, he wanted their testimony to be intact. Now, maybe we could argue the injustice of slavery, but that's not the point right now. Paul said, the point is, whatever you are, wherever you are, and however you function, you need to be doing it in such a way that whenever you do a good work or say a good word, nobody is surprised. That's what they would have expected out of you. Instead of going, good night, where'd that come from? So Paul says this is not just a suggestion, this is an actual responsibility. You see, we ought to be praying for our president. We ought to be praying for our Congress. We ought to be praying about the elections that are coming up. We ought to be the ones that we are the positive influence, the law-abiding people. We are the ones who work the hardest. We are the ones who make those who are above us in the workplace look better and more successful so that when we do the things like coats for kids, food for the hungry, or whatever it might be, When somebody says, why do you do this? We say, because I'm a follower of Christ. We want them to say, I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. Would anybody be surprised? Would anybody be surprised to know that you're here today? Would anybody be surprised to know that you are a member of this church, that you are a child of the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, Paul is saying here, we've got to remind you of your responsibility here. And the key to be ready for every good work because your feelings and your um, rebellion and all of that is sabotage to your uh, presentation of the gospel. Now, notice how I worded that. It's sabotage, not to the gospel because the gospel is more powerful than you. The gospel does not depend upon you. But your presentation of the gospel is being sabotaged by the way that you live and by the way that you act. So I'm reminding you of your responsibility. Thirdly, I'm reminding you of something else. You have no excuse to be rude or unkind even when you're Christmas shopping. Even when you're in traffic and nobody is there to listen to you. Even when somebody sits in your chair when you come to Sunday services. Even when, and we could go on and on and on. Because one of the marks of a strong believer, one of the marks to measure your strongness as a Christian, is really not your church attendance or your Bible knowledge. Now listen carefully. How much does it take to make you mad? How much does it take to get you in a bad mood? How much, or should we say, how little does it take to get you in the flesh? You know, um, I was reading a book a long time ago by a Chinese martyr named Watchman, Watchman Nee. Some of you have heard of him. He made a statement about warfare 
that has always troubled me. He said, let's suppose the demons of hell that are assigned to you have to report back to their commanders. Demons are presented in the Bible as having ranks and organization. So let's suppose that they have to have a meeting. And the demon assigned to you is called back. Watchman Nee said, your real testimony is not what other people think about you. It can include that. But he said, your real testimony is what did the demons assign to you? What did they say when they report in? Piece of cake. All I have to do for this person is let somebody disagree with them and they, they ruin their testimony. All I have to do is get their boss to have them do something that's not in their job description and they lose their testimony. All I have to do is get somebody to pull out in front of them out of a parking lot and they have to hit the brakes a little too hard and they lose their testimony. Piece of cake. Or are they running back going, hell help us, all heaven's breaking loose. Do they come back saying, I got to have help, I got to have reinforcements. Or do they just say, do you have a tougher assignment? Send a buck private to take care of them. They're easy. I've never forgotten that. Because I wonder what the enemy says about me. All we have to do is drop the bait in front of him. He takes it 100% of the time. Then he has remorse. Then he has sadness. Then he has sorrow. Then he confesses his sin. Then he feels guilty and uh, all of that. And he doesn't do anything for the cause of Christ. He lets that hold him back. Or is he coming back saying, it's not working anymore. Our strategies are being uh, sabotaged instead of his Christian life being sabotaged. And I don't know what to do. Send somebody that's got more power, more expertise, and let's get together and let's gang up on them. You see, it might be as you start learning and start applying the scripture into your life that your warfare increases because they're terrified of you. And it may be that you've got a measure of peace in your life right now, not because you've won the victory, but because they're laughing at you. And it only takes just a little bit to get you out of sorts and to ruin your testimony. So let's think about it. The Bible tells us that we are to speak evil of no one. You get that? Speak evil of no one. Secondly, it says that we are to avoid quarreling avoid it not engage in it not look for it it says that you are to be gentle not rough rude and crude and to show perfect courtesy toward all people all people well that waitress bought me my food and that food was cold and I let them have a piece of my mind well, they probably didn't need it, and you probably couldn't afford to share it, to be honest. And how effective do you think that gospel tract's going to be that you left on the table after you humiliated them? Heard a story one time. Some of you, do you remember the bumper stickers? They used to say, honk if you love Jesus. Well, there was a story about somebody who was coming home from work and he was mad and all out of sorts. He said, and he got up there to a stoplight and just about the time it turned green, he heard honking. Man, it made him mad. 
And he took off and he got up to another stoplight. And here comes this fool behind him again, honking at him again. And finally the guy at, a, at the next stoplight, he got out of the car and he went back and he said, Hey, buddy, what is your problem? And the guy said, Oh, I'm sorry. I just saw your bumper sticker that said, Honk if you love Jesus. And I do, so I was honking. You ever been caught on anything like that? I was driving one time going to do a revival for John Sherrill down in Duncan. And man, there was this guy that was in my lane, would not get out of the way, and uh, my exit was, you know, too short for me to pass him, so I just had to stay behind him. Man, I just had smoke coming out of my ears. Why doesn't this guy get out of the way? Come on, it's that big pedal on the right, dude. Let's, let, let's go. And you know what he did? He exited. So I'm stuck behind him. And I mean, I'm up there, you know, I'm, I'm kind of tailgating just a little bit, you know, I'm, I don't know what I thought that was going to do, but I'm, I'm ready to get going. And so we, we turn and we start heading the right direction. It's a two lane road. I can't get around him because cars are coming. And boy, when I did, I hit the gas and I went around him and, uh, you know, just like, Hey, idiot, get out of my way and quit holding up everything. You're causing trouble. And don't you know that slow people cause more wrecks than fast people? That's what speeders always say. And and uh, I mean, I went around him. And you know what happened when I went around him? I thought, oh, Lord, I hope he's not going to the revival. <laughs> what if he's a deacon at that church? What if he's a Sunday school teacher there? What if while I'm passing for him, unbeknownst to me and him both, what if he's praying for me? Oh, dear Lord, let power be upon the message of the preacher today. And there I am, filled with the Spirit, joy of the Lord, patience, all of those things that Galatians 5.22 says. And when that happened to me, man, then I got embarrassed. Oh, Lord, don't let me be embarrassed. And the Lord said, that's the least of your problems. Right? What did it take to get me from filled with the Spirit, praying for that church, having the anointing and power of God to getting into the flesh. One guy going 10 miles under the speed limit and having the audacity to take the exit that I took. That's all it took. That's all it took. What does it take for you? Now, I could pat myself on the back and say, well, there's a time when I would have you know, almost bumped him just to get him out of the way. There's a time I would have honked at him. There's a time I would have yelled something when I was driving by. Well, at least I didn't do that. But I did enough. I did enough to listen to me to be out of fellowship with God just like that. I did enough to be embarrassed by had he been going to the same church. Then I thought, what if he's not a deacon or a Sunday school teacher what if he's a person that somebody in that church has been praying for, witnessing to, and they finally got this lost guy to agree to come to the revival to hear the word of God? And I stand up in the pulpit and that lost guy goes, You? Does that sabotage the power of the gospel? No. But it sabotages the power of my presentation. Why would he want to listen to me? 
You see what Paul is saying to the church there is that as you do these things, you're being ready for every good work and the things that are going to derail you, that are going to trip you up, they're going to make you ineffective, that are going to cause God to just set you on the shelf. Remember Paul said that he was afraid that he would be disqualified. That means set on the shelf. You know, there'd be nothing worse than have the same calling on your life and just God never giving you any opportunities. Is that you? Has God shut off the opportunities? Well, maybe we're reading about you here. Speaking evil of no one. Avoiding quarreling. Be gentle. And to show perfect courtesy toward all people. I wonder... I wonder if we could do a survey of waiters and waitresses and how many of them wouldn't darken the door of a church because they've been around Christian people after a Sunday night service. And we're so busy letting them and everyone else know that we're not happy with the service that they're not interested in our message. And how many other places and other situations could that actually happen? So when we talk about showing perfect courtesy toward all people, you know that means even sometimes in church. Did you know some of the rudest people you can ever meet can be inside of a Baptist church? Mean, mean people. Mean people. And you think about how many times you get out of sorts and instead of being glad that somebody's here, all you can critique is the way that they're dressed. The way that they look. Those kind of people coming into our church? Really? Doesn't the Bible give us a command to take the gospel uh, to some? Or is it to all? It's to all. And if you're serious about that, you may have some people show up that have some problems that you've never even heard of. And yet the Bible tells us we're to be courteous to them. You can have my place. I'll stand up during Sunday school. You take the chair. You park in the best places where it's more convenient, easier for you to get in. Hey, I'll give up talking to my friends. I can talk to them anytime. But I'm going to come to you and I'm going to make sure you know how to find the bathrooms or the nursery. I'm going to make sure that you feel welcome when you're here. Because most visitors, most first-time visitors in the church are not impressed by the meet and greet time. That's what you have to do. You know what they're impressed by? And I'm so thankful that a lot of you do this. Those of you who greet them before you're told to greet them, that's what makes a difference. Because you've chosen at that time not to talk to somebody that you know, but to talk to somebody that you don't know, to befriend them. And you never know what a difference that will make. You never know. How many times you may lose your temper? How many times you may get frustrated? How many times you've got a scowl on your face? How many times you let everything in the world get you out of sorts and hurt your feelings? How many times does that happen that somebody is watching you and they look at you and they go, hmm, well, I thought they were a Christian. I guess I better find one somewhere else. How many times... 
Does your flesh, in cooperation with the enemy, do something like that that is so off-putting that you find out later maybe they were getting ready to talk to you and then they saw that you were in such a bad mood they went to somebody else and somebody else led them to Jesus. Somebody else answered their question. And how many opportunities are missed because about the time we want God to use us we can't stop speaking evil of other people. We get involved in a quarrel and people look at us and say I don't even know what you're talking about but I don't want to be a part of that. How many times do we fail to be gentle? That waiter or that waitress, folks, they didn't make your food. They're just delivering it. And you get mad at them. How many times do you act as though they had something to do with it? They messed it up. They waited too long. And you give them a peace of mind of your mind. And then maybe later if you knew the whole story, maybe they just got divorce papers served that day. Maybe they put a child in the hospital that day. Maybe their car broke down and here's a single mom who doesn't know how she's going to get to work anymore. Maybe it's a person who is saying that they just, they just that day, they had a bottle in their hand. And they were weeping and they were saying, oh God, help me. I don't want to live like this anymore, but I can't stop. Help me. Then about that time, you're upset because your eggs are cold. How many opportunities do we miss because we fail to adhere to what the Bible says here of being courteous to all people? Can I get an amen or an oh me? Because you know what? I've been the victim of that. I've had some people in the church say some cruel, cruel things. I mean, just to give you an example. My mom had just died. It had been within two weeks. Leukemia. 63 years of age. Heartbroken. Devastated. And right out there in that hallway with the green carpet, a person who used to be a member of this church, a faithful member of the church, said to me, and this is almost verbatim, Well, I guess if you can leave to go visit your mom, church attendance is not all that important to us either. How do you think that felt? That made me want to preach. That made me want to shout hallelujah, didn't it? That made me want to sing. No, it didn't. That was one of the deflating things that happened. And I wonder how many other people go through that. Some of the things we say, some of the things we do, some of the things we don't do just deflate people. Well, they ought to be stronger than that. I know. I know. And you know. But we're not. And sometimes we need a little help. Sometimes we need a little encouragement. I think if that person had said to me, You know what, brother? You probably ought to be taking some time off. But I admire the fact that you're here. And that you're ready to bring us the word of God and I'll be praying for you. What do you think would have happened to this preacher then? I would have been ready to charge hell with a water pistol. But instead, I remember that day, I came up here deflated. How many other people think that? How many other people are judging me in that way? Did I do wrong by going to check on my mom and to try to help her? 
Those kind of things are the things that hurt and things that probably that guy would not have tolerated if anybody had done that to him. You hear me? He would not have tolerated it, but he sure wants to give it out. Hey, if you can't take it, don't dish it out. In fact, Paul would say, even if you can take it, don't dish it out. You hear me? So we hurt each other and we deflate each other. And so he says, basically, don't slander. Don't be aggressive. The Greek says, don't be a fighter. To be kind, we know what that means. And to be gentle, that means keep your temper under control. Be appropriate to the situation. In other words, bearing wrongs done to you and being quick to right the wrongs that are done to others. That's the, the tone and the, uh, the tenor of these verses. It's not about... Getting it my way, it's about saying, hey, it doesn't matter what people do to me, but I'm not going to tolerate it being done to someone else. I'm not going to set by while it happens to someone else. Boy, if we had that, what a difference we could make for Christ. Well, let's finish up here, and let's remember something else that we tend to forget. You were once the people that you complain about, and I'm here to remind you of that. You were that jerk. You were that rude person. You were that incompetent person. You were that person that you can't stand. You used to be that. And you've forgotten it. And you think, well, I may have been lost, but I was never like they were. Can I remind you of a saying from the past? How about this one? Well, pin a rose on your nose. You were just as bound for hell. You were just as offensive to God. You were just as filled with the powers of darkness, Ephesians chapter 2. You were just as dead. You were just as selfish, just as motivated by the wrong things. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice. You wanted bad things to happen to other people. And envy, you wanted their good stuff. Hated by others and hating one another. In fact, the Bible says that before you were saved, you were an enemy of the cross. Let that sink in. Those people that you have such a hard time with and you're so mad about, they're destroying our culture. They're destroying our country. They're destroying everything. That's what you were. And in your pride, you think, I was never like that. God says you were, because he saw everything. And in your pride, you've gotten so used to being a Christian in, in this situation, and, and you've got the culture and the sophistication, and you've learned what to say and what not to say, but your heart is ever bit as ugly as it ever was. And Paul is saying, you've forgotten what it's like to be lost. Where did God find you? I was in church. I had showered that day. I'd eaten a good breakfast. I was kind to other people. And God looked at me and said, Hey, there's one I could use. Is that right? The Bible says I was dead in my trespasses and my sins. I knew all the hymns. And I was singing. I was a dead man singing. I knew the Bible stories. I was a dead man walking and functioning. I was in the ministry on staff at a church. Those poor people had death leading their music. 
alienated from God, enslaved to my own mind and its desires. The spirit that now works in the sons of disobedience was working in me. And I was floating along like logs in a river. Had no control over the course of my life. Promising week after week to do better. Rededicating my life. All of those kind of things. And I had no power because I was spiritually a dead man. Playing the game. Being the hypocrite. Acting the part. Empty. Empty inside. Until one day. The Spirit of God got a hold of my life. I'd listened to a song by Ken Meadham that said, Don't play the game, you just can't do it. Don't play the game, he'll see right through it. Don't play the game, you just can't do it. You gotta have a brand new start. Give him your heart. And it had all kinds of things in it. Pretending you're a Christian is a luxury you can't afford. Maybe you can fool the people in the church, but you just can't fool the Lord. He knows. You know he knows everything you say. He knows just what you feel. Cut the act. State the fact. Why don't you be for real? Don't play the game. Man, that was just like he was singing that right to me. Then an evangelist came into our church and he preached a message called Good for Nothing Church Members. I had no salt. I had no light. What good was I? And I went and I talked to my pastor and I started throwing up arguments and kind of debating a little bit. And I'll never forget, he stopped and he looked at me and he says, Greg, why are you asking these questions? Is it for you? And I broke. And I went into the auditorium and both of us knelt at the steps that would be on that side of the pulpit. And I waited for him to say something. And then he goes, you know what to do. And I cried out to God and I asked him to forgive me of my sin, my hypocrisy. For the first time in my life, I felt the weight of sin and my separation from Christ. And I felt, like Jonathan Edwards said, like I was dangling over the fires of hell by a spider web. And oh, God in his grace heard my cry. And I repented of my sins and trusting in myself and my hypocrisies, my lies, everything like that. And I put my full trust in a Savior who died on a cross and paid for my sins in full. And I remember the burden of sin lifted from me. There's an old song that says burdens are lifted at Calvary. Hey brother, I've experienced that. And I felt joy. I felt peace. I felt love. Everything that I had always wanted came into my life at that particular moment because I'd become a new creature in Christ. I was born again. Born again. Some of you, you're going to try. I'm going to be better. And you're going to try to apply these verses we've read. And you can no more do it than a dog can. Because you don't have the nature of Christ. You don't have the life of Christ. You're just playing a game. Putting on an act and trying harder. Trying harder. Trying harder. And falling and failing. And you know that it's not real. Let me tell you. I've already kind of bared my soul. I understand that. 
I'm not here to condemn you or anything like that. I did it far better than you're doing it probably. But I'm also going to tell you here as one who's tell you as one who's been there, you can work really hard not to do what these verses tell you not to do and you can still be just as angry inside. You can still be such a filled with such pride. You can be filled with arrogance. You can be filled with all kinds of things inside your heart that your outside never shows because you're putting on a mask. Take the mask off. Get real with God and trust Him. And if you have been born again, what do you do? The same thing. Confess it to the Lord. Be honest with Him. Quit accepting it as normal. Quit accepting it as, well, it's not as bad as what other people are doing. That's not the standard. Give it to the Lord, and by faith, let Him take it out of your life. And then our witness will have credibility. And when your witness has credibility, there's power in all of that. Don't let the enemy rob you of credibility as you tell other people about your faith in Jesus Christ. Don't let somebody be surprised to find out you're a Christian. By the grace of God, may they go, oh, that makes sense. I get it now. And then you're able to tell them of the life-changing power of Jesus Christ because of his death, burial, and resurrection as the full payment for our sins. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. We'll have music in just a moment, but we don't need it right now. Are you a fraud? Are you faking it? Why don't you end that today? Why don't you get honest before God today? And why don't you ask Christ to forgive you of your sins? To make you a new creature in Christ? And confess Him as the Lord of your life. We've got some people that are heading back now to the back of the auditorium that are trained and ready to help you and to counsel you with anything that you might have questions about and to lead you to Jesus. That's the most important thing, to lead you to Him. This is about Jesus. For those of you who want to be saved, go back there. You don't have to wait for anything special. You can go back there right now and say, I'm tired, I'm sick. I'm through. This is the end of me. I want Jesus. I want Jesus. I want him to be Lord of my life. I'm trusting in him and only in him. Boy, that'd be a great thing. I'm, I promise you, it'll change everything. Everything. And then for those of you who are Christians, you say, well, I try so hard to do that kind of stuff. Why don't you go before the Lord and say, Lord, I'm going to quit trying. I'm going to start yielding. So that you can do all of those things through me. It's got to be you. It's got to be you. So we're going to sing in just a moment. But I want to pray for you first. And I hope you're responding to the Holy Spirit right now. Don't shut anything out. Don't get distracted. What did the Word say to you? What did the Spirit say to you? Just obey. Just obey. Father, as we think about these kind of things. Help us. By grace. To see this from your perspective, not ours. Help us to quit trusting in ourselves for anything and to yield to you. Save those that are lost. Take Christians 
and remind us of these things and bring us back. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together and let's sing a verse of this. This is your time to respond. This is your time to respond. When we walk with